You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today is a guest speaker. We have Reza Sabahi. He's the managing director at Wells Fargo Capital Finance. And in this episode, we'll talk about traditional banking, how startup founders can work with traditional banks, where the other options, and we'll also discuss a bunch of interesting terms in the traditional banking field. So Reza, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Wells Fargo Capital Finance. Great. Well, first off, thanks a lot for having me on. I've, I've listened to the show before, and I know that you have very high-quality guests, so I'm flattered that you asked me to join. As you said, I work at Wells Fargo Capital Finance, which is one of the specialized lending lines of business at, at Wells Fargo, and it's a business-to-business commercial loan portfolio, and I work in the technology finance division of capital finance where we focus exclusively on providing financing to technology companies, primarily software companies in North America as well as in Western Europe. So in my role there, I oversee a team that manages direct credit exposure to a variety of different technology companies, call it from companies that do as little as 10 or 15 million in recurring revenues up to several hundred million, and in some cases, even a multi-billion dollar software companies. Mm -hmm. Just in that introduction, you mentioned a bunch of terms that I'm personally not even familiar with, even though I have a financial background. So (laughs) let's try, Uh, let's move on and talk about, hopefully, actually, never mind. we're gonna talk about something even more financial. The LBO is what I want to start with. So, LBO is a type of acquisition for any kind of company, right? Means leveraged buyout. And let's talk about what it means in broad terms. Sure. As you said, LBO is the acronym for a leveraged buyout. And effectively, what that refers to is making an acquisition of an entity or entities with a lot of debt. Now, a lot of debt isn't a defined term, but that's effectively what an LBO means. And I think that one of the reasons that it's important for your listeners or for those in the startup community to be familiar with the term is that so frequently founders, when they think about either growth or an exit opportunity, it primarily revolves around incremental rounds of equity from the venture capital community and or making it to that unicorn status where you ultimately go public. And I think that it's important to recognize that there are alternative sources of capital and alternative methods to a favorable exit. And I would say that a leverage buyout, most notably when you have a private equity firm that's interested in buying out your software company, just know that there are other options for very, very favorable exits at very favorable and high multiples above and beyond just venture capital debt or going public. Mm-hmm. So uh, from the founder perspective, the LBO, is it any different from the regular buyout? Well, what it really refers to is utilizing debt as one of the primary sources to get the deal done. 
So of course, most transactions, certainly most buyouts will have an equity component. But when we're talking about a leverage buyout, the leverage portion of, of the term is referencing using debt and maybe even a lot of debt to get the deal done. Whereas maybe in the founder community, when they think about selling their business, it's primarily equity or only equity. And mm -hmm. I think it's just important for those in the community or founders to know that it doesn't have to be an all equity deal or a mostly equity deal to get a favorable exit. So I think that most importantly, it just speaks to the optionality in the market. And certainly where we are right now, there's a lot of demand for technology firms, which speaks to the ability for founders to have a really, really nice exit, whether that's equity or, or debt as a source of that, that deal getting done. Mm -hmm. Right. Perfect description of that LBO. So now let's talk about something you just mentioned, but not explicitly, which is revenue-based financing. So loans is pretty much revenue-based. Okay. It's very much different <laughs> from revenue-based financing, but let's talk about those differences. So when you're applying for a loan at a traditional bank as a startup founder versus when you're applying for revenue-based financing, can you just define the major differences there? Sure. What I would say is that for any founder with a startup, it is or it can be difficult to get traditional bank financing or to secure debt financing from a traditional bank. Now, fortunately, as technologies become a bigger part of our economy, there are a number of traditional banks like my own at Wells Fargo, as well as other competitors in the market that are willing to extend credit to technology companies or even to startups that may not have had access to bank financing in years past. Now, you're using the term revenue-based financing, and I think that within the startup community, there is the knowledge that there are lenders out there, primarily non-bank lenders, that will provide debt that's structured around the revenues of the startup or of the business. And effectively, what that means is that a lender will give a company uh, a percentage of their revenues whether it's one time MRR or two or three times MRR. And one of the, the tricks with the financing is that you only have access to, the, to, your, to your loan up to the amount of your line limit. And to the extent that your revenues fluctuate up or down, you might be in a position where you have to repay your outstandings, kind of like a credit card. Now, in terms of what I do, where we provide both revolving and term financing for software companies, although the way we underwrite it is similar in so much as we do look at the revenues, just the revenues by themselves aren't how we're coming up with our debt quantum to provide to our companies. The other thing that I would say is that unlike pure revenue-based financing, where it's a revolving line of credit, where you only have access up to whatever your revenue formula is. Banks like my own and others in the market are willing to provide term financing to a lot of software companies, meaning that day one, you may have access to a much larger slug of capital without the same burdensome requirements to pay down and borrow, pay down and borrow. But of course, that's case by case and depends on the performance of the business. Nice, that's actually really interesting. I was 
barely aware of that. <laughs> so let's talk about those other factors that influence the decision of these, you know, standard bank, uh, traditional bank. So you mentioned that, you know, you're not only basing your decision based on the revenue of the company, but some other factors as well. What are those other factors that you look at? Sure. I think that stepping back, whether we are looking to finance a software company or a hardware company or a meat distributor, the fundamentals of extending credit to any company are going to be the same. You want to understand the business. You want to understand the billing practices, the services the business provides, and hopefully you have a good sense for the management of the business. However, obviously, software companies and technology companies are unique. So some of the things that we look for that are specific to technology or software, first and foremost, we want to understand the quality of the revenue. And especially in today's age where subscription-based companies, SaaS-based companies are garnering the highest multiples out in the market, and most firms within technology are trying to mar uh, migrate to recurring revenues, we want to have a very, very good sense of the quality of the recurring revenues. Now, what's one of the ways that we do that? We do a very, very thorough analysis of the revenue retention of the underlying business. And the inverse of that is understanding the churn analysis or understanding when customers are choosing to not up their subscription or when customers are choosing to terminate their contracts, why are they doing that? And we do that analysis to understand the quality of the recurring revenue. Another thing that we look at that's very important is understanding the cost structure of the business. Now, one of the favorable aspects of technology and software companies is a generally favorable cost structure. Most of these business has, businesses have very, very strong gross profit margins relative to other industries. So we wanna understand the driver of that cost structure, understand the gross profit margin profile. If it's more favorable than what we see in the market, why? If it's less favorable than what we see in the market, also understanding why. And then ultimately, one of the most important things of extending credit to any entity is understanding what the source of funds are going to be used for. If you come to me and you say, Reza, I got a great company. I want 50 million bucks. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is, well, that's great. But what do you want to do with that 50 million bucks? Now, it's a lot different if you're asking for that money because you want to invest in product development, you want to invest in people, you want to use that capital to further grow your business and accelerate growth, let's talk. Now, of course, if you come to me and you say, well, you want 50 million bucks because you want a new Lamborghini or you want a third paddock <laughs> Philippe, well, then we might have a different discussion. But as I said, the core fundamentals of extending credit are going to be universally the same. But there are some nuances to software companies like recurring revenue, gross profit, churn, cash flow conversion that are very, very important when we are evaluating doing a deal in this space. That's awesome. And it seems like there are so many factors you're looking at that's just extremely interesting. But here, uh, let's move on and discuss you know, who can actually try to get that capital from a traditional bank. So what are the major requirements in terms of what should you have in your hands to get that you know, loan from bank? Sure. As I tend to do, I'll, I'll start at a high level. And I'll say that the first thing that an entrepreneur needs to be armed with is a very, very strong understanding of their own business. And I know that sounds so intuitive, but especially within technology, where many founders 
are technocrats, where many founders have a technical background, a programming background, where folks are just really, really focused on developing the coolest technology. That's great, but sometimes that means that they don't even understand some of the intricacies of their own business. Sometimes they don't have an appreciation for billing cycles with cash, with forecasting. And I only bring this up because it is important for all entrepreneurs, but especially more technically minded entrepreneurs to understand that whether you're pitching for equity or pitching for debt, you need to understand your business. Now, of course, getting past that, if you are pursuing financing from a bank lender, you're going to want a forecast, a very, very detailed, achievable forecast. You're going to need conviction around that forecast, and you need to explain that forecast to, to someone that might not be as familiar with your product or your industry. Another thing that you're going to have to come with for most bank loans, you're going to generally need at least two to three years of revenue history. Now, not always, there are some lenders out in the market that may be willing to transact and may be willing to extend credit to successful entrepreneurs that have a proven track record before they have revenue. But I would say for the most part, most regulated institutions are going to require at least two to three years of revenue before they're willing to look to underwrite credit. Now, I did want to pause and say that although they may require revenue, that doesn't necessarily mean that a bank needs companies to show profit to extend credit. As we all know, especially for high growth technology companies, profit is a thing that people can't spell and certainly people don't care about, and that's okay. Firms like my own and the professionals that I work with and others out in the market understand the software and technology space and understand that you don't have to be profitable. And I only bring this up because so frequently when I'm in the market, people will ask me about that aspect of getting a bank deal. So yes, you generally need revenue, but no, you don't necessarily need profit. Another thing that you don't necessarily need, yes, it's good to generate cash flow from operations, but you don't have to generate cash flow month over month, year over year. And many, many very high growth companies that do have access to bank capital, and in some case, millions of dollars of bank capital, may not be generating cash flow. Now, of course, the devil's in the details. You have to be you have to be able to articulate why you're not generating cash flows and explain at what point you might be. But I would say kind of the short list of what you need, know your business, have revenues, have a plan, and have conviction for whatever your plan is whenever you're talking to your local banker. Nice. That's perfectly love it. Absolutely love it. But here I actually want to follow up on the cash flow part. So you mentioned that, you know, it's not really required for a company to generate cash flow per se. How is that? How can one get credit or a loan from a bank without really having a cash flow? Sure. Well, you have a lot of smart listeners on your podcast and they know that many, many successful technology companies don't have cash flow because there's such high demand for their product or service that it is more accretive from a valuation perspective to invest or over-invest cash flow from operations into sales and marketing and product development. So I bring this up because if you have 
a smart banker, if you have someone who's sophisticated that understands lending to technology companies, they're going to understand this. So you don't necessarily need cash flow. You don't have to be generating cash year over year, but there does have to be a rational reason as to why you're not generating cash flow. And I would say the bridge to the other side to this is that you do have to have a plan or you do have to have a thesis to bridge a lender between where you are today burning cash and where you could be in one or two or five years when you ultimately do generate cash flow. So you have to understand your business. And although you might not be generating cash flow today, you have to be able to demonstrate your ability to generate cash flow at, at some point in the future. And then just one more thing, because this might be where you're going. From a bank perspective, that's where the concept of underwriting credit to recurring revenues becomes so important. Because if you have a good lender and if you have a good business, the lender is able to triangulate a debt quantum around the recurring revenue or the revenues and not so much around just where the company is generating cash flows today. Perfect. That's a perfect description. So let's sum it up and uh, let's pretend I'm the founder, right? I should have to be roughly three years old. I mean, I should have roughly three years old company. I should be generating some sort of cash flow or some sort of revenue that can be promising for a banker. Uh, I have to understand my business. I have to know where my business is going to be in a few years. Is that about it? I think that's pretty good. That's, that's a pretty good start. As you can imagine, when you go to anyone and ask them for a lot of money, there are a lot of pointed questions and clarifications that come with it, but I think you articulated it well. As I said before, whether you're going to an equity investor or a credit investor, and, and I consider myself or most lenders consider themselves credit investors because we are investing just mm -hmm. in a different part of the capital structure, we want to be investing in people and in companies that have a reason to exist, that have a good product or service, whose customers believe in that product or service that can forecast realistically where they're going to be tomorrow and next month and next year, and then ultimately want to continue to grow their enterprise. Everything else can be debated and everything else can be discussed, but that's a really, really good start. Perfect. And one more question about just clarifying, uh, What's the approximate revenue that's not required, but that you're expecting to see if someone comes up to you and asks for a loan? So what's basically the minimum loan that you can underwrite? Is it like $25,000 with a revenue of $10,000 or is it the minimum of $100,000? So what's, what's the minimum there? Sure. What I'll do, instead of just speaking to, let's say, my area of focus, I'll speak broadly to the market. What I would tell your founders out there listening to this podcast is that across both the regulated and non-regulated lender community, there are avenues to get financing for startups that might have as little as 100 or 200,000 in monthly recurring revenue. Now, what I will say as it pertains to the bank credit market, most bank lenders are going to want to see a technology company with at least 2 million of annualized recurring revenue. 
Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you need 2 million of trailing 12 months revenue. If you are a high growth startup and if your MRR is growing very aggressively, then there are lenders that would look at, let's call it your most current month or most current quarter and annualize that figure. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the world of bank debt opens up to, to technology companies at around 2 million of annualized recurring revenue. And then kind of the next step up when the world gets even bigger, once a technology company kind of gets to that seven to nine, seven to $10 million in recurring revenue range, I would say there are a lot of really, really good options for bank lenders out there, including my own and many of the, the competitors that, that we go toe to toe with in the market to get deals done either for a revolving credit facility, which works like a credit card, or a term loan credit facility where the company has access to the preponderance of the, the credit that they get underwritten on day one. So I would say starts at around two or three million, but once once your company gets to 10, 11 million, the world gets a lot more generous. I like the sound of that. <laughs> the world gets suddenly more generous. I love it. <laughs> we can always use more generosity. We can always use more generosity in this world. Right. That's true. So perfect description there. And um, let's talk about the pros and cons of taking on the uh, debt from a bank versus, you know, going out for a traditional investors. So uh, one of the concerns that I got from when I'm talking to founders and, you know, when I'm telling them, you know, have you actually reviewed the option of taking on some debt? And the general answer is, you know, no, I'm afraid to lose my company or I'm afraid to, you know, get into debt personally, that they're going to take my house or something like that. Do you think that's actually the case? And the second question is, actually, let's start with just one. Do you think that's the case? Do you think that's a real problem? I wouldn't use the term problem. However, is that a possible outcome? It could be. Most banks, especially when banks are extending credit at the lower end of the revenue spectrum, most bank lenders are going to require what's called a personal guarantee from the founder and or any of the important management of a company. And what that means is that if the company is ultimately unable to pay its obligations and repay the loan, the bank will, in most cases, try and go after the management or the founder of the companies, including going after their personal assets if the loan can't be repaid. What I would say is that that's generally not going to be a likely outcome because if the lender's doing their diligence, they shouldn't be in a situation where there is a collateral shortfall or a cash flow shortfall in a worst case scenario. However, it could happen. What I would say, and I don't know if you're going to ask this, but in terms of maybe some of the considerations for bank debt as a source of capital compared to, to equity, as a source of capital is that when you go to the bank and you get a loan, it's going to come with some rules. And I'm not going to say it comes with handcuffs, but I'm going to say that it, it definitely comes <laughs> with, it comes with some restrictions that you may not find with an equity investor. As a few examples, if you get a bank debt, even a small bank debt, you're going to have to provide the bank some reporting. Now it's not uncommon to be required to provide monthly reporting 
it's not uncommon to be required to provide quarterly reporting. And at a minimum, I don't know of any bank that does business loans that wouldn't at a minimum require annual reporting. And although it doesn't sound like much, when you're an entrepreneur, a technologist, trying to grind and crank out the best product or service, sometimes your P&L isn't what you're focused on. Sometimes you might not even close your books. And although that might be okay for your equity investor, that's probably not okay for your bank investor. The other thing that I'd share with you is that most all bank loans, even the smaller ones, come with what's called loan covenants. And the term covenant is just a fancy legal way to say you're agreeing to do or to not do certain things. And as part of very, very common covenants for loans, there will be covenants that require that you generate a certain amount of revenue. There are loans that require that your leverage doesn't get too high. There are loans that require that you don't burn more cash than you say you were gonna burn. Depending on the type of credit, depending on the business, there's lots of ways to structure a loan. And again, the sophisticated bank lender is going to align the structure of the credit with the business profile of the operating entity. But the point being is that when you go to your bank lender, there are certain restrictions and limitations that you may not find. Certain, call them bumpers, like when you go bowling, the bumper lanes, there are certain bumpers that your bank lender is going to ask you or require that you sign up to mm -hmm. to hopefully make sure that, that you don't go out of bounds. And if you do, you don't stay there. Now, of course, on the equity side, many equity investors, once you get beyond friends and family, many equity investors themselves are entrepreneurs. Many equity investors understand the grind, the thrill, the hunt. And because of that, they're willing to provide their management at their investment companies a little bit more leeway. Maybe they, they don't worry so much about that reporting they don't worry so much about burning too much cash. That's that's boring stuff. Equity investors, <laughs> they dream big. They think about that billion or multi-billion dollar exit. So one of the benefits, if you will, I guess, in comparison to the bank lender is that you may not have as many restrictions, but of course the punchline is that you have to give up the equity. And with the bank loan, you don't have to give up the equity or generally you don't have to. Perfect description of those pros and cons, really great. Um, so last question, I mean, no, actually two last questions. So first one is gonna be about the bank support as you know, bank loan serving as a proof of concept. So, you know, if I have a startup, does it make sense to go out and raise, you know, even a tiny bit of capital from bank just to show the investors that, you know, my business is so sustainable, it's so safe that even a bank, a traditional bank invested in it. Do you think that makes sense or not? Not really. I don't know if that is totally linear logic. I can understand why a founder might think that way. But what I would say is that by the time a founder is going to take their company to a bank to try and secure financing, they are beyond having an MVP and they are probably on their way to a full proof of concept, if not having already at a, a basic level, having proven their concept. So I'm not sure as to whether or not a company's ability to secure bank financing in any way would 
tell equity investors that the company has achieved proof of concept? I, I don't necessarily think it works that way. From my perspective, I think that definitely works that way. <laughs> you know, their banks are so risk averse. You know, they look at so many factors that if a bank runs due diligence, so took a look at the numbers, it means that on the financial side, at least the business is safe. And you just, as an equity investor, you just have to uh, evaluate the team probably even more. Um, so I would personally recommend you looking more into debt and see <laughs> what can be done there in those terms. It's just because it's more fun. Will do, uh, will do. <laughs> that's, that's more of a recommendation to my listeners, but you can do that as well. But we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So Reza, what's the one thing you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Know your business. Know your business and know your options. I know that your listeners come from all different types of backgrounds. And what I would say is that for those that have a startup in the startup community, know that in terms of optionality, depending on your company and its scale, going the equity route is not the only avenue to secure financing and certainly not to secure financing to further grow your business. There are a number of bank lenders. I think my bank, Wells Fargo, is the best but certainly there are a number of bank lenders out in the market that are willing to transact with technology and software companies. And although it doesn't always work, it is an avenue to procure liquidity and capital in a way that you may not have to float as much equity. So that's, that's mm -hmm. one thing. And the other thing in terms of, of call to action, for those that have a business, know your business. And I know as an entrepreneur, it's all about the widget, making a better mousetrap, thinking about our world, our society in 10 years or 15 years, 20 years, and ideating how to address the challenges and problems that aren't here yet. And that's all great. But as I said earlier in the segment, whether you go to an equity investor or a lender, a credit investor, it is imperative that you understand the relationship between your business, your product and service, your customers, and how those marry together to generate some revenue, and hopefully at some point, generate some profit. And I would say, if you articulate the argument for your own business, your business model, and how at some point in the future, however far away it might be, that your business is going to be stable, generating good recurring revenues, generating a profit, if you can't articulate that, you really, really need to maybe spend a little bit more time sitting at your coffee table, thinking about your business just as much as you might be thinking about your product. Perfect. That's a perfect call to action. And for that call to action, I'll add that my call to action is going to be go to the description of this episode. I'll leave a link to Reza's LinkedIn there. Also leave a link to Wells Fargo's just basic website so that you can review it and probably to where's Wells Fargo Capital Finance as well, so that you you know you get a feel of where Reza works. And I'll also leave a link to the section on fundraisingradio.com where we discuss alternative sources of capital only. So if you think that you know equity fund equity fund is not for you, definitely take a look at the links below and have a good day. <laughs>